coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, back from his long 4th of July weekend is my coach Curtis. We hope everyone out there had a great and safe 4th of July. But we are back with a show today that we are very excited about. We've actually been excited about doing this show and been getting ready for it for a couple of weeks now. But after spending last week answering your mailbag questions, which we always have a good time doing, that's always good fun, today we are finally getting to the Alabama edition of our annual Summer Scouting the Enemy series where we give you a detailed preview of each Power 5 team on our 2020 schedule. We opened the series with Virginia a couple of weeks ago, so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and check that one out. Virginia is not a team we really ever play, and I figured a lot of you might not have as strong a level of familiarity with their program as you do with all the SEC teams that we play on a just about annual basis. So I really tried to go deep on that one for you guys, so that's still up there. You can go check that one out. But today is all about the Crimson Tide as we do our best to prepare you for the big Week 3 matchup in Tuscaloosa, one we've been waiting for for a while now, which will actually be our first trip there since Matthew Stafford hit Mikey Henderson on a beautiful first down, first play end zone strike in overtime, at least our first play of overtime, to down the tide in Nick Saban's first year in Tuscaloosa. But before we get to that, I do want to quickly thank everyone for, for just listening to the show, supporting our podcast. We really appreciate that. I know this has been a tough time for everyone, really, on planet Earth, and uh, we know you guys are, are all in that as well. And we know you guys miss football as much as we do, and the uncertainty around the 2020 season has been, uh, I mean, it, it's been tough, guys. It's been tough, especially when it's something that you spend so much time looking forward to, but we've really tried to help fill that void as much as we can during this time, and we really appreciate all of you continuing to listen in through all of the craziness. We've said it many, many times before on this show, but hey, I mean, what's what's one more time, right? We are very aware of the fact that this show just flat out would not exist without all of you guys out there listening and, and supporting our show, which is one of the reasons why we try to make it as listener-friendly as we can, and one of the reasons why we put so much time into it. We appreciate all of you. We want to make sure all of you guys know that. And we especially appreciate all of you who have helped us out by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. Big shout out to AOR88 for posting the most recent review. You are a, you're a good man, sir, and we are very, very grateful for the kind words. And if you enjoy the show and want to help us out, That is definitely, uh, at this point, the best way you can do that. We are actually now only one small click away from hitting our goal of 200 ratings by the start of the 2020 season. So, hey, it could be you if you haven't done one yet. And look, I know all of you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, which is awesome. We love all of you guys. It doesn't matter where you access the show from. So telling friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, hey, random guys on the street maybe, uh, telling anybody like that about the podcast, that also really helps. But all right, let's get rolling with this Alabama breakdown. If you've been, I mean, you guys know this, if you've been even inadvertently, like accidentally aware of the college football world over the past decade plus at this point, 
you know that Alabama, they've been the big bad bully on the block since about 2009 when they won their first title under Saban. Obviously, Clemson's kind of come on of late, but I still think in the general college ball world, Bama is still the standard if you look at it from the past decade plus. I mean, it's been a heck of a run, man. It really has. But as good of a run as it has been with Nick Saban, over the past couple of seasons, we've kind of watched, like they've still been winning, but we've watched this Bama winning formula kind of transform before our eyes. You know, like we know what it used to be. It was, you know, it used to be a national title winning formula built around a dominating defense, first and foremost, with just enough offense that was led by a traditional power running attack but that's not what we've seen the past couple of years. It's kind of morphed into a formula built more around a high-flying, modern spread passing attack accompanied by what I would classify as maybe a, a good enough defense. And we kind of, we first started to see signs of this transformation, like really when Jalen Hurts won the starting quarterback job as a true freshman. Was that back in 2016? Maybe you could even say a, a little bit with Blake Sims, that quarterback in 2014. But obviously, we all know it really intensified, accelerated once Tua took over full-time as their starter in 2018. And uh, look, I mean, this metamorphosis, it's been evident, like, just by watching them play. I mean, you guys can watch them play, and you know what I'm talking about. But what I like to do is I go back and try to take what I think I'm seeing and see if I can back it up with numbers. So I crunch the numbers, and I have some stats kind of illustrate just how much the Bama formula has changed over the past two years. So offensively, they're up about 15% in total yards from where they were in 2017 before Tua took over full-time. They're actually up 30% in total yards from way back in 2009. Obviously, teams are running more plays with tempo, so you just get more plays out there, get more yardage racked up. Uh, now, here's where you start to see some things changing. They're down 33% in rushing yards from 2017 to 2019. I mean, As I said, like for years, it was the strong power running attack. But they're up 77% in passing yards from 2017 to 2019. Dramatic increase throwing the ball down the field. Defensively, they're down 33% in total yards allowed. If you look at it a little bit more closely, from 2009 to 2017, they gave up only an average of 242 yards a game. Over the past two seasons, though, that number jumped up to 322 yards a game, about 80 yards more game defensively allowed over the past two seasons. So, Kurt... As I just laid out there, clearly the Bama formula has changed over the past two years. They've been winning, uh, but it's been it's been in a different way, kind of a combination of elite quarterback play, elite skill talent, which wasn't always the case with Nick Saban's teams. But I would still argue that's the exception in the long arc of, of the Nick Saban run at Bama, and I think Tua had a lot to do with it. So now with Tua gone, let's open with this. What does that Bama formula look like in 2020? Are they going to continue on this trend? Or are they going to kind of revert back to what they were previously? Um, I think this year's going to be they're going to be a little bit closer to balanced. Um, you have Najee Harris coming back, who's going to be your horse. Um, and I, so that's why I think that they're going to be closer to balance than they have been in the last couple of years. And at the same time, you look at the quarterback position; um, they're not going to be what they were. Um, I know Tua wasn't exactly a runner but he was mobile enough to get some yards um, when they needed to and things like that. Makes he was years. a threat with his legs. He yeah, exactly. The, the last couple of years when you had Tua and Hurts both, um, they could do something with their legs, but they don't really exactly have that anymore um, with the, uh, Mac, or Mac, Mac Jones. Jones yeah. um, so that's the one thing that I really think – I mean, I really still think they're going to attack you in the passing game because of the threats they have receiving coming back, Devonta Smith and uh, Jalen Waddle, people like that. 
but I just think that there could be more balance trying to get Najee the Harris the ball and trying to control the tempo and things like that. Uh, so I think that they're still, like I'm saying, they're still going to be that team that's going to attack you um, vertically more so than they were. Like forever, they had like one great receiver and they would just attack you, ver- like down, deep downfield bombs. Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, yeah. Yeah, like where they could just throw the deep one and he'd get a bunch of yards in one little thing. That's and they not did that really- just enough to allow the op- the running game to open up, yeah. Absolutely. Exactly, and that's not really what they have anymore. Um where they still have those deep threats, but I but they're good at dink and dunk. You attack, attack. You go underneath. Screen game, yeah. Especially, uh, especially with the speed of uh, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle and people like that. That that that's how they're going to attack you. Um, yeah, think about the number. You're, you're totally go right. deep. Think about the number of times where Tua, as good as he was, Tua was great. But think about the number of times it was just a short five, ten yard pass, a slant here or there that Henry Ruggs or Waddle or Smith or whoever it was just took at the distance. Do you know? That was a lot of the time. I mean, think about uh, that touchdown Waddle had against us as a freshman. He just took a little dink and dunk over the middle and took it, what, 60 yards to the house. I mean, yeah. that that was a lot of their big plays. I mean, Tua did make some very nice throws downfield, but a lot of it, too, was just how much better he was made um, with receivers that could just take it to the house at any one second. Yeah, the incorporation of the heavy RPO game, those short routes like that. You get one-on-one, make one read. You get one-on-one with those receivers with that kind of athleticism, that kind of speed, and boom, you're off the races. Uh, and you saw that time. You're right. You saw it time and time again. So that, that's a great breakdown. And I, I think I'm with you. I, 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 Here's what I would say from my perspective in terms of, like, is this going to be the same formula we've seen the past two years or reversion back to what they were before? I think there's there's room for it to be somewhere in the middle. I'm I'm not sure it can be exactly what it was the past two years as you were kind of alluding to because you're right they don't they don't have Tua and I think Tua is a like how much was Tua like if you talk about like what they changed and how they transformed offensively and really just their formula in general from a team perspective how much of that was Tua um a lot of it um Jalen could run the ball and things like that and open some stuff up and pass but Tua was just such a pure passer the guy could make the yeah. quick reads and to put the ball in just in position in places that uh, most other quarterbacks couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm with you. I think that was a huge, like, I, I don't even want to bring this up, but the 2017 national title game, I think that was, that was where we saw that transformation start, unfortunately for us. And, uh, and Tua was just like a huge part of what they did offensively. They had kind of already started to move more in that direction, but they just didn't have the quarterback that could throw the ball as well as Tua. I mean, Hurts, you're right, was a good athlete, and they were changing th- some things with him, going to more spread attacks, but he just couldn't throw the ball to the degree that, that Tua could, and we all know that. Who was the best passer, which, you know, exacerbated, yeah. especially with all the talent they had at receiver, yeah. just made them put – it was like a perfect storm offensively sure. for them, where they actually – where they went away from the bread and butter of the great running backs. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we get into this, but – you know, it's from a big picture perspective. You're exactly right. I think two, like there were a lot of components to it. It wasn't just two. I think he was the the biggest part of it. You have to have, you have to have the receivers. You have the skill talent receiver. I mean, because their offense was still nasty last year with Mac Jones at the helm uh, when Tua went down. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they were in like a shoot it out effort against Auburn. I mean, it was almost a fifty point. I mean, it was what forty. 45- 548 was that the final score of that and game? Auburn had a great defense that year. Yeah. I mean, Mac, and we're going to talk about Mac Jones a little bit more later, but I don't think like people are kind of like just down on Mac Jones. And I think it's because he's not Tua. Like, no, he's not Tua, but I don't think Mac Jones is a bad quarterback. I actually think guy's pretty good. Um, and look, I'm, so I'm not sure exactly what, what it, it can be, what it was the past two years. Cause you don't have two and you don't have the number of receivers yet. You still have some good guys, some good players, but you don't but have see, the thing was of. the last couple of years, 
there was no one you could double team. I mean, there were players yeah. that you should have double teamed, but they had so much that yeah. if you double team someone, then you left someone else in a very terrible matchup, yeah. usually linebacker. It, like the like the name of the game defensively to defend these spread offenses has become, hey, let's try to keep a too high safety look as much as we possibly can. But that didn't really matter against Bama because it doesn't really matter if you've got too high safety. Somebody's still going to have man coverage. And yeah, they're I mean, all going to be whoever they've got. You mentioned it, how they would beat you Dinkin and Duncan, and a lot of that was because they would get you on the linebacker. Yeah, they, they, would, they would find – and like, Tua was good enough to find that matchup, find where he had – one of his dudes, whoever the dude was, he would find him matched up on, on the linebacker, the safety, whatever the advantage was, and he would pick that apart. And, and that's what made them so deadly. When you have four guys out there that can do it, that's incredibly difficult to defend, especially when you got a guy like Tua, such a great signal caller back there. So, yeah, I don't think it can, it's going to be what it was the past few years, but I also don't think it has to. I don't think it has to, or is going to change all that much. Uh, in in some in some ways, I would argue like the cat is out of the bag now. Like with the, with how they've embraced the spread, you still have uh, Sark is still the offensive coordinator. Like he's not going to go back to run an offense that was fit for like 2003. Like that's just not going to happen. It might not be as efficient. It might not be as high powered as it was last year. But I still think it's going to be in a lot of ways very similar to what we saw. Now I will maybe argue and we'll get to this a little bit more when we talk about their offense in general or a little bit more specifically. But in general, like with four returning stars off what was already a really good offensive line, that offensive line was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award last year. If you guys aren't familiar with that, that's the award given annually to the best offensive line unit. Um, and so they get four of those guys back, including Alex Leatherwood, who's probably going to be a first-round draft pick. Uh, Landon, Landon Dickerson is maybe the best center in the SEC coming back. You got a really talented uh, tailback come up. You mentioned, mentioned Najee Harris, Kurt. So I think it might make sense they lean a little bit more heavily on the run, like closer towards balanced, but still out of their spread framework. And I, I just think you're right. I think even though they lose two of those guys, they're just too talented wide receiver to kind of just hop in the DeLorean and like go back to 2009, 2010. Like they're not doing that. Uh, it might be a little bit different without Tua, but I still think big picture – they're going to be pretty similar to what they were offensively. Now, defensively, like, here's what I would also say. Like, I'm not sure their defense, because, like, the old school Bama formula was defense, 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 right? I'm, yeah. like, are, how confident are you that defense is going to be good enough to say that this year? I don't think you, I don't, I don't think it's going to be Not there. at all. I mean, last year their defense was very suspect, and they lost pretty, practically the entire secondary. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get into some more specifics on the defense, but just from a big picture look, I, yeah, like, I still think this Alabama – this is another reason why I don't think they can just go back to the ground and pound of, of days past. Because they can't – they don't want to get into a uh, close game. Yeah, like I, I – absolutely. I, I think they're still going to have to outscore teams, like the better teams in their schedule. Like they, they can beat Arkansas, like no contest, like whatever. But when you play LSU, when you play Auburn potentially, the better team – Georgia, when you play the better teams on your schedule, I think – I don't think their defense is great. I, I mean, I think they're good. But I think they're going to have to outscore the better teams on their schedule, which we saw last year, and they didn't do it every time. They lost two games in the regular season last year because they got they, they allowed the other team to score forty five point plus on them. So I think they're still going to be in that scenario. Like, like I don't know if they're going to be dramatically better than what they were last year. I mean, like I just said, like they guys, this is a crazy stat I saw. I'm going to give. I think I want to give credit. I think it was uh, Pick Six Previews is where I saw this, which again is a great magazine. If you haven't picked that up, it's actually an online magazine, but it's the best preview out there. But they had a number in there, and, and I had not seen this before. But Alabama had never given up 45 points to an SEC opponent coming into 2019. Never. Not once under Nick Saban. Not one time had they done that. 
They did it twice in November alone last year, giving up 45 or more points to an SEC opponent. So this defense is just not what it was. They're still good, but it's not close to the dominant type Bama defense that we have seen in years past. And they're losing, in my opinion, all of their best players on defense, at least their most productive players from last season. I guess you can say Dylan Moses is coming back, but the guys who were most productive for them last year at virtually every level of the defense, they're all gone. Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis, Diggs, McKinney, Raekwon Davis, those guys are all gone. So I don't think you're, they're going to be able to lean on the defense. They're going to have to rely on outscoring teams. And so that's one of the reasons I don't think you're going to see this reversion back to the old school Saban mentality, even without two of theirs. I've heard some conversations like, well, up two, and maybe they're, they're going to go back in time a little bit. I'm like, I just, I don't necessarily see that. But all right, let's move on and let's dig in a little bit more specifically with the two sides of the ball here. And we're going to start on the offense. We talked about Mac Jones a little bit. We mentioned his name at the outset there. Let's dig in a little bit more on Mac Jones as a quarterback. Uh, pretty simply here, Kurt, what is your view on Mac Jones as a quarterback? Um, to me, he's almost like a throwback to like John Parker Wilson. I don't like that type of quarterback. He's not A.J. McCarron. I think A.J. McCarron's light years ahead of where um, what Mac Jones was, especially because Mac sat around a lot and doesn't have the experience. Um, and so I had to, have to say I'd take him back to that being the type of quarterback they have because he's not a very mobile guy. He's a guy who's going to stay in the pocket. Um, doesn't have the best arm, but he's accurate um, with the ball. And so I, that that's the probably the closest comp I can get for him. Yeah, that I, I like everything you said there, actually. That's exactly pretty much what I was going to say. And, and one thing I would add on to that is, is just kind of what I said earlier. I don't want – just because he's not Tua, I don't want people in the Georgia fan base who are looking at week three and thinking, oh, well, yeah, not, Tua's not there. We can go up there and get this win. I don't know, I'm, I'm not saying we can't get the win. But Mac Jones can play. Mac Jones is a good quarterback, all right? I mean, he put up some uh, – I mean, against Auburn, yeah, he threw those two par- terrible pick six that killed him. Um, but he made some very nice throws and also had some big touchdown throws. And then uh, also went in the bowl game. Against I can't Michigan. remember who they uh, – Michigan. Um, who? Yep. Okay, they, they played Michigan in the Capital One Bowl. That's what I thought it was. Um, he made some very nice throws, especially I think like that opening play to Judy with the long bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he is a good quarterback. I don't think that you can just overlook him that easily. Yeah, and look. At the I, time, he's not the game changer of what they've had. Exactly. Especially when exactly. he won't have the numbers game, which he had last year. Where Even with DeMonta Smith and Waddle coming back, you don't have that alpha that you had in Judy. I totally agree. That's exactly where I am on Mac Jones. I I, I think the guy can play. Uh, he's certainly not a scrub. Like, let's not think he's just like some game manager scrub. Like, no, dude, like – Guy had three starts last year. He threw for 275 against Western Carolina and basically a half of football gates, Western Carolina, whatever. Against Auburn, who was really good defensively last year, put up 335, all right? Completed 67% of his passes in that game. Yeah, he threw two terrible interceptions that you could say cost him the game. Uh, and they were bad. Like, one was an overthrow, which is a terrible throw. And one was he was getting pressure in his face and, and tried to get out to Najee Harris. And they were going in for a score on, like, a, a little a – little, wasn't even really a swing route, like a, just a little quick dart route. And um, – just didn't get it out in front of him enough, and it gets picked off by McLean, the linebacker, and he runs it back like 99 yards for a touchdown. So, yeah, probably shouldn't have made that throw, but he's young and experienced, and one was just a bad throw. But th- those are the exceptions. Like, it, I really went back and I dug into the Auburn admission games getting ready for this show because I know that's the guy that we're likely going to be facing. I went back and watched some other games too, but those are two I really, really dug into because I wanted to see Mac Jones. Like, what is this guy? And I'm, I'm a believer that he's a, good, he's a really good player. I, in fact, here's what I would argue. You hear all the talk about Florida fans or from Florida fans about Kyle Trask. I would argue Mac Jones is better than Kyle Trask. Am I crazy, Kurt? 
I don't think that's outlandish. No, I think he's better. I, I, I really, and I know, it's, I know it's a smaller sample size. I get that. I get that. But it's not like we have a huge sample size to Trask. We have about three fourths of one, uh, one season. And yes, Mac Jones was throwing to really good receivers, but Trask had some good receivers too. Not to the level of Alabama. We all know that. But just watching both those guys, and I've watched Florida a lot this whole pandemic, and I went back and I, and I dug into, I really dug into those games, the Michigan Auburn games. And I think Matt Jones is good. I, I really do. I think he's not maybe not elite, but he's not a scrub man. Um, not dynamic, like you said. Not Tua, but he, they can win games with this guy. Uh, he's tough. He's poised. Throws a really catchable ball. Really accurate, except for that one pick six or some bad throw. But it happens from time to time. Um, and he's going to have some really good wide receivers to throw to. Uh, I just I don't I don't see him being like this guy that where they're just gonna, their offense is going to fall off the face of the earth. They're not going to be like Tua level good. But I still think he's pretty formidable, formidable back there for them as their quarterback. Now, obviously, we're talking about the quarterback position and their passing game, and we've talked about it some here already. Let's let's dig in a little deeper though, Kurt, with these wide receivers. How much of a hit do you expect the wide receiver position to take with the loss of two first round draft picks in Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs? I think it's actually gonna be a big hit because not that I don't think Devonta Smith and Waddle are that are good receivers. But when you can match up on them like you couldn't before, it yeah. really makes everything a lot different. 100%, man. Um, and I think that's the thing. No. Like, they're no worse than what they had. I mean, I, they're still absolute studs that can get the job done. But it's just, like, completely different. Yeah, it, it totally is. It, it's a different world. And I know it's uh, – obviously, we were a much lesser version. But think about how different we were with just Lawrence Cager out, right? Because now guys can zero in on the like, one other threat you have, which is George Pickens. When you have, like, even when you have two guys like that, like we're a little bit more effective. But when you had four of them, it was a whole different story. So half of those guys are gone. And what I would argue, I think Jerry Judy was the best of the group. If you have put all four of them together, I know he wasn't drafted as high as Henry Ruggs. But personal preference-wise, I think Judy was the guy. I think, I think when teams were game-playing for Alabama last year, he was, I mean, one of was always the alpha guy away. based on the position he played. Yeah, and I know his numbers were down a little bit last year because it was actually Smith who led the team in receiving yards. But I think that yeah, is a function. This of- was a, like you mentioned earlier was that guy who would just take it to the house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that was like a function of teams game planning to take away Jerry Judy and like making somebody else beat them. And yeah, most of the time, those other guys did beat them because they were that good. But you don't have that this year, so I'm very interested in what this is going to look like. like. Like I would argue that four man group of receivers, Judy Ruggs, Smith Waddle was as good of a group of wide receivers as I have seen on any college team. Like, I would go that far. Like, if I think they were better than the LSU squad. Yeah, I mean, well, see, LSU had two. The LSU had two that, that were incredible with Jefferson and Chase. But I'm talking about four guys. Four guys that could legit be, like, first-round draft picks. Like, that's – I don't know if I've seen that. Like, and maybe I'm missing something here. I'm sure there's been someone – a team somewhere out there. But, like, in recent history, like, these guys are as good as it gets. But half of them are gone now. And like I said, including the guy in Judy, who I think was the best of the group. But like there is a world where I think Smith and Waddle could become maybe like a slightly lesser version of Judy and Ruggs. I think there's a world where that could happen. And I don't think that's outlandish. But my question is, who are the guys that are going to replace what Smith and Waddle were to Judy and Ruggs last year? And I don't believe they have that. I don't either. Because if I went back and crunched the numbers, all the other returning wide receivers – they combined for six catches for 57 yards last year. All their other wide receivers that were returned that are returning, other than Smith and Waddle, six catches, 57 yards. Like Slade Bolden, is that the dude? Like, is that what you're relying on? I don't know, man. 
And I know they recruit well. I know. And I'm not saying they don't have guys that can play. I'm sure they do. We just haven't seen it yet. But you also got to remember, too, when you mentioned all those guys they had last year, not one of them was a freshman. That's literally at a whole upperclassman laden team except yeah. for Water. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They could have realistically yeah. had three first round picks. Yeah, you really could have. And it's going to be, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, Smith and Waller are going to be really good. They're, they're, going to, they're going to have a really good passing attack again, but I don't think it's going to be as lethal as it was because it's not going to be as easy to get guys matched up in the looks you want to without having four of those guys. And Smith is really good. I really think Devontae Smith's a stud receiver. I wouldn't put him quite the level of Jamar Chase. He's slight of frame, but the thing is, it's crazy to watch him play. He's a, a really slight dude. Like he's not a, a big, thick guy at all, but he is really, really good and slippery getting off the line of scrimmage. When you try to jam him, he does an incredible, like, don't even try to do that with him. He'll do an incredible job of getting off that, and then, he, and then he's already past you. And with that speed, you're not catching up. That's what makes him really, really dangerous. And he gets a little short slant or whatever. He can take the distances. He's got outstanding speed. And Waddle is just a dynamic athlete, obviously, the return game as well. Those guys are really good. But again, it's a different world when you have only two of them instead of four of them because now defenses there's not as much pressure on them having to defend all the other guys on the field. You can leave Slade Bolden, for instance, potentially um, man, you know, one-on-one with man coverage on a linebacker and feel okay about that. Whereas if you had a linebacker, I don't care who it is. If you had Roquan Smith on, on a guy, a guy like Jerry Judy or Ruggs or Smith or Waddle, whoever, whichever the four it was like, you don't feel good about that. You just don't. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to be, quite as dynamic with the passing game as they were the past couple years. But uh, all right, let's move on to the running game here a little bit. You mentioned Najee Harris a little bit at the outset, Kurt. People may not remember this, but he was actually the number one ranked running back and then actually the number two overall prospect in the 2017 class when he came out of high school. And I, for one, don't think he's quite lived up to that billing yet. Now, this may be the year, but I don't think he's done that yet. He had a really good year last year. It was his first 1,000-yard season, the first time he was really like the guy. And he responded with a good, really good year. But I didn't really have him in the conversation for best running back in America. But So, Kurt, what are the chances that I'm singing a different tune on Harris at the end of 2020? I think the one thing that's going to really hurt him that we've talked about with all the other guys um, is matchup-wise. I mean, last year he was always matched up on a linebacker who couldn't keep no. up with him. In the passing uh, game. But that's not yeah. the case this year again. Like, he – I mean, he's gonna, he's a really good runner. But he did a lot of his damage out of the backfield receiving-wise last year, making some big plays out there. And that's going to be difficult for him this year because uh, defenses are going to be able to run those two deep safeties and things like that. Uh, that's going to affect his how open he gets. Yep. I think he's really critical. I think he might be the most critical component to their success this year because without four receivers like they had last year, you're going to need to try to get some teams out of those two high-safety looks. And the way to do that is to pound him in the run game. And I don't know if teams will even respond. Like maybe teams will just say, fine, if you can beat us to the run game, you can pound down our throat, that's fine. We'll live with that. We're not, they're not going to let you beat us to the air. Maybe they'll, they'll say that. They'll live and die with that. Especially if you can stop the big plays. Yeah. And so that, that's, and honestly, that's probably the track I would take. I think that's, that's the, the key way to beat that game. game. Because a, a lot of their damage lately has been with the big plays. It absolutely has. I mean, that's to me. That's how you have to beat Alabama. Like, if they're going to beat you, like when we go up there and we or go over there and play them in week three, you gotta you've got to let them beat you with Najee Harris. If if they do, God bless you, man. But you just cannot give up the quick strike. You cannot get into that kind of scoring contest. You just can't do that. Make them go 12, 15. I always say this as a defense coordinator: make them go 12, 15 plays, whatever, 
If they do that, God bless you. The chances of something like bad happening, then turn the ball over or dropping a pass or something like that, getting a penalty that kills you, is much higher than when you just go, oh, one play, 70-yard touchdown strike. That's what you have to do when you play them. And I think teams kind of started to figure that out to a degree, but it's easier said than done. You got four four of those receivers out there. Now with two, they may be a little bit more realistic. So I think he might be the most critical component to their success offensively this year, along with that offensive line. And he really came on the second half of last season. He had his two best outings statistically against the two best even rush defenses he faced against Michigan and uh, and Auburn. He he was really good in both of those games. And they put more on him, obviously, with Mac Jones at quarterback. But they still threw the ball plenty. Uh, and when I watch this guy play, like I don't know if there's one aspect of his game that just like jumps out at you. I'd say he's got a really good combination of a lot of different things. He's got. He's got really good power, good agility, good enough speed. Like he's not a burner. He ran a 4.66 out of high school. I'm sure he's faster than that now, but he's like a 4.4 guy at this point. He's maybe a mid 4.5 kind of guy. He's got good hands out of the backfield. So he's got a good combination of all those characteristics of running backs. But I don't know if he's like necessarily elite in any one of those areas. Uh, now, here's one thing that I think he needs to work on. He does not have incredibly great vision. It's not like the worst, but not great. And, and, and there's one play that stands out in my mind still. Uh, and going back and rewatching it, he completely. There's a number of reasons why they lost the Auburn game. They blew that game so many different times in so many different ways. But late in that game, late in the fourth quarter, I think on the, that last drive where they were trying to go down there and score after uh, Shivers had like run over McKinney and get in the end zone, Auburn took the lead. They were driving down to score. And they ended up having to settle for a field goal that they ended up missing is why they lost the game. But he had a touchdown. He had a touchdown on the left side. All hit, the, the blocker was up in front of him. If he just keeps it on the outside, the edges, he walks in the end zone, easy touchdown. But I he believe cuts he, back, he like sought out contact and cut it back inside. It was a nice like 10, 15-yard gain, but it could have been a touchdown on that final drive, and that would have won the game for them. And that, and that was just one small anecdote of kind of things I saw from him throughout the year going back and watching their tape. Good player, really, really good running back. But if there's one hole in his game right now, he doesn't have the best vision. I think that's a really important characteristic for a running back to have. You can have all the all the physical tools you want, but if you're not seeing the holes consistently, it's tough for those for those physical tools to actually come into play. So there's one little thing in his game to point out, but he's still a really good back. I think he's like a, the key for their offense this year. But all right, let's move over to the defense here for a couple minutes. Uh, now, this defense, as I laid out at the very beginning, they have not been as good the past couple years. But I will say that's also very relative to their old school standard of dominance. Uh, they, they were still just outside the top 20 last year in total defense. But that was only good enough for fifth in the SEC, which is not very Bama-like. This is a program that had the number one ranked defense in the SEC for five straight seasons from 09 to 13, then dropped to number three for one year before popping back up to number one for three more years in a row. So, Kurt, that's eight out of nine seasons from 2009 to 2017 that they had the best defense in the conference. But they were only fifth in the SEC last year. So, Kurt, was that an isolated outlier or the start of a downturn that's going to continue on? Right now, you're really seeing the, the, you know, what's happening after losing Kirby Smart and both Jeremy Pruitt, big defensive guys, and trying to go with a young up-and-comer, Pete Golding, who is still yet to really prove himself both coaching and recruiting with prowess. Well, the, and the Bama guys, they were so high on him. Oh, he's, the, he's the next well, guy, man. He's the next Kirby. A lot of them were Kirby. called and fired this offseason. Yep, they absolutely were. And, and it was just crazy because the guy was like a borderline top 20 defense, but – relative to their standards like that was a major downturn it really was and and so I think 
obviously the big question here, Curtis, what was different last year? I mean, injuries, sure, but like what was it? Was it just the injuries or was it something deeper than that last year? It's deeper. You're really starting to see the depth is no longer there that they used to have. Um, and just the caliber of players, uh, Shane Lee was one of their big horses, especially sure. uh, linebacker-wise. And he's, he's just – he's it's like terrible. a throwback to what they used to have, but he's not the new-age guy, which is what you truly need. I mean, he was uh, – terrible. He just was too slow. And, I mean, yeah, there's certain things that you can teach to get better at, especially for young guys – but yeah. that speed is not going to improve that much. Yeah, you don't teach that. You don't teach that. No, not at all. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, so you mentioned that they don't have as much depth. Why, may I ask you, do you think that is? You're seeing the uh, while yeah, the former coach that's now to the yeah, east. Yeah, we're still like asking when are we going to do things and when are you going to see these top recruiting classes come into play. You're also seeing what they can do to other teams where they just like. Yeah, they had that injury to Dylan Moses, but remember that one year where they had like when Moses his freshman year when he started getting all that PT, they had a bunch of injuries and him and Mac Wilson stepped in and made some big things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because they yeah, had the that could do it, but that's the thing the the talent is just it's more spread it's out. Not was even though they're young, where before they could coach up the young guys, teach them you know to read plays and do that things faster or better, but they can't teach intangibles, which is what they don't really see anymore. Yeah, that, that, that's a great analysis. That absolutely for me, what I would say a big part of it, like look, they still recruit at an elite level. They're still one of the, the top two or three recruiting teams in the country, but they were so far and away better than everyone else for about a decade. That I they mean, like don't get their five stars, but they were getting all of the five stars. They were getting whoever they wanted in the Southeast and really anywhere in the country. Like they just were like all, the, especially defensively. Like, these big studs on the defensive line. What they like, Think about it. We got Nicobe Dean. If Kirby had been there, they get Nicobe Dean plus Shane Lee. Quay Walker's probably the same thing. Those kind of guys. Yep. Absolutely. The, uh, Trayvon Walker, another guy potentially. Uh, there's a number of guys. Uh, and so I, I think what we're seeing, even though they're still recruiting at an outstanding level, they really are, but their dominance has been challenged by Georgia, by Clemson. And, and so they don't get their pick of the litter in the Southeast around the country. Like we're, we're challenging them. And like, we're not getting all the guys. They're still getting their, their fair share, but they're not getting near as much of a share as they once were. Like we're getting some of those guys now. Uh, Nolan Smith's another one, all right? Without Kirby, he might be in Alabama, you know? So I, I think that's a huge part of why this defense has taken a, a slight step back and is not near as dominant as they once were because they're just not – it's a reflection of the fact they're not as dominant as they once were on the recruiting trail, in my opinion. It's, and there's other things that go along with that as well. You don't have the, the same defensive coordinators. You don't have Kirby. You don't have Pruitt. There's, you know, you got a young guy as, as your coordinator now on Pete Golding. But I think it all begins and ends with the recruiting. And a big part of the overall dominance of the early Saban Alabama defenses, we are the overall Saban teams in general, was the dominance of their defensive front seven. I mean, think about the guys they had, Kirby. I mean, the defensive line, let's just run through it. Terrence Cody, Marcel Darius, Ashawn Robinson, Jarek Williams, Jaron Reed, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Quentin Williams, linebacker. I mean, you guys know the, number, the all the guys: McLean, Hightower, Upshaw, Mosley, Raglan, Foster, Rashawn Evans, Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson. All of those names, guys, were on this were on this team at different points through the last decade. But they took a major step back in the front seven last year. They went from giving up an average of 86 yards a game on the ground from 09 to 17 to get up 130 yards a game on the ground in the last two years. That's a dramatic uptick in your rush defense. That, that's not getting it done, not to the degree they once were. 
So, Kurt, does that change this year? Do they have the dudes on the roster right now to change it? Were they just young last year? Like, like what are we looking at in the front seven for Um Yeah, you know, they were young, especially at linebacker court. And like you mentioned, you get Dylan Moses back, your highness. Uh, but outside that, they don't have the dominant front seven that they had. They that was the big difference. I think that's the especially the front four, which is where you're going to see the biggest difference in the team because they don't have those guys. And I think that's the – because they could create the pressure, which made just their – pass rush and everything that much better uh, opened up the place for their uh, linebackers to come in there and clean everything up, but they just don't have that anymore. I think our front seven, I don't know, you can call me a homer if you want. I, I, I would say coming into this year, our front seven is clearly better than theirs. Is that fair? I think that's very fair when you count in yep. Jordan Davis, Trevon Walker, uh, mm-hmm. Devon Wyatt, Monty. people like that. Yeah. Yep. Monty, I mean, and, I, and I'm throwing in, I'm throwing in like Nolan and Aziz, all those guys, Devontae Wyatt, like, I, I it, Malik Herring, I think Jermaine that Johnson. we are better up front in the front seven. And I don't know if I've ever been able to say that since Saban got there. I don't know. I mean, maybe last year you could have said that. But before Even last the year – almost beat them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so I just I, – I think we're better. And we'll get into that a little bit with the matchup in, in a few minutes here. But I just – I don't see them getting back, at least this year. Maybe – I'm not saying they can never get back, but I don't see it happening this year. And when I say get back, I'm saying get back to like a top – three-level defense, top five-level defense. I don't see it this year. Yes, they played a lot of young guys last year, and you can say, well, those guys took a big step this year, and that's possible. I mean, you play two true freshman inside linebacker. You mentioned Shane Lee. You also got Christian Harris. Uh, DJ Dale was a freshman, uh, basically a nose tackle. Uh, Christian Barmore is a redshirt freshman. was a good player. But they also had some upper class on the, on, in that front seven, too. Raekwon Davis was, was a really good defensive lineman. I felt he was a really good interior guy. Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis on the outside. All three of those guys are gone this year. You, They do return Dylan Moses, and that's going to help. But I don't know if that solves all their issues because I just don't know if they have that dude up front like they traditionally had, whether it was the Quinnen Williams most recently, Ashawn Robinson, Jared, Jonathan Allen, those kind of guys. I just don't know if they have that guy. Uh, Barmore like, is maybe the, the most likely candidate. He had his moments last year, but he was inconsistent. So was DJ Dale. I mean, Barmore got whipped at times last year. And Auburn, like, man, they they moved him out of the way plenty last they year. They did not have Auburn off the line. line either. Yeah, yeah, they were bad. Uh, and he, like, he was a good. He was pretty good rush in the past. I think he had 26 pressures and 168 pass rush snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. Has six TFLs. Uh, but like he was just so up and down and maybe he straightens it out this year, but I don't know. I haven't seen that from him yet. You got three of your top four sack guys that are gone this year. You mentioned Shane Lee, Shane Lee and Christian Harris were both freshmen last year, inside linebacker. And that was due to injuries. They were terrible. They were terrible. I think honestly, that was the biggest issue on that entire defense last year. Like those two guys were just flat out terrible. That's the, oh, that's, that's the, that's the best word I can come up with. They're just they were terrible, atrocious, horrible, whatever you adjective you want to throw out there, uh, abysmal, abominable, whatever. That was them. They were just were not good. Harris has the athleticism, but it was a converted safety, and he was just lost. He was he had no clue what he was doing last year from an awareness perspective, from a technique perspective. The guy was was a train wreck as an inside linebacker. Uh, Lee was a little bit better from like the awareness point of view, but it's just not on the same level. Like you mentioned, Kurt, he doesn't have the speed. He's just not there as an athlete. Uh, just not. He's slow. And he, he gets lost plenty in his own right. Both guys miss a ton of tackles. They stopped their feet on contact. They were not good. And, yes, I know Dylan Moses is coming back, so all is fixed, right? But, Kurt, one of those two guys is going to be playing alongside Dylan Moses, and both of them were terrible last year. And so, you're asking Dylan Moses to stay healthy the whole time because you're still not that deep. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and Dylan Moses is terrible in pass coverage. Dylan Moses is not a, he's not a he's not a third down linebacker. He's terrible in pass coverage. Like in fact, when when we play them, if he's on the field, I say attack him in the passing game over and over and over again with whoever it is because that is the dude that cannot cover anybody. Yeah, really good against the run. Has struggled tremendously in his career in in pass coverage. So one of those guys can be playing with him. He's probably not going to be playing third downs. I don't know if all their problems are fixed just because Dylan Moses is coming back. He's a really good player, but he's come, as you say, he's come off the ACL injury. How much better is he actually going to like? You know, how healthy is he going to be? We just we don't know that. He'll be good enough to play probably, but will be the same Dylan Moses? I don't know if the answer is yes. At least not not in week three. We'll see. Um, all right, moving on here to go along, obviously with that traditionally dominant front seven last year, notwithstanding. Nick Saban's Bama teams, like they have also traditionally rolled out just star after star after star in the secondary. I mean, guys like Kareem. Uh, actually, I, I looked this up. Here the here's the list of first round draft picks from the Alabama secondary since 2009. You've got Kareem Jackson, Drake Kirkpatrick, if you remember that name, Mark Barron at safety, D. Milner, Haha Clinton Dix, Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick. Most recently, I think that's seven names that have been drafted in the first round in the se- Bama secondary. Since 2009, guys, that's nearly two times as many as our football program has had in the entire history of its of, of its existence. All right, we've had four guys go in the first round in the secondary in the history of our football program. They have had seven since 2009. They've been dominant in the secondary. So, Kurt, what's the outlook for the Bama secondary entering 2020? Outside of Patrick Sertain, there's a lot of question marks. Outside, you're right. Outside of Sertain, there all there are, are question marks. I mean, you might have guys who are penciled in, but like literally, other than Patrick Sertain, every other star of that secondary is essentially gone. They're gone. So whether it's Diggs, they were already pretty suspect last year. Let's be honest. Uh, Diggs, I don't know how he was t- talked about first round pick because he got picked on uh, more than Sertain. Yeah, and, and Sertain got picked on plenty as well. Like he had, like I know Sertain was a was a sophomore last year. Watching him last year, going back and watching the tape and ready for this show, reminded me a lot of what Tyson Campbell was his freshman year. Is that a fair comparison? Like, like had his moments, but also got picked on more than you would think a guy of that caliber should get picked on. A guy that's allegedly of that caliber. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I, I've always been a little surprised at his, uh, all the attention he garners because I, I've always thought he was a little suspect. Yeah, I, I I think it was just a, a a function of the fact that he was a highly rated recruit. Some of these guys said, "Oh, he was he was a top ten or whatever recruit, so he's got to be really good." Let's put him on all the uh, all SEC pre uh, preseason list. I think that's what you see with Sertain, a good player. Just I don't I just don't see him as like this elite cornerback. You no, know, he's got the Alabama name behind him. That obviously never hurts, no doubt about it. And look, they got some. Look, it's Alabama we're talking about. They have talented guys to replace all the guys they lost in secondary. But I mean, you lose Shane Carter. Uh, you lose McKinney, you lose Diggs, and, and that's that's a tough group of guys. To I think replace. the biggest two losses to them are going to be Shaheem Carter and uh, Xavier McKinney. McKinney was a was a really good player for the safety. He really was, and, and Carter was underrated as well. In fact, they're talking about moving. I don't know if it's going to happen, but there's been talk about moving Sertain inside to play star and not have him at corner this year, which would be really interesting. And I, and I get that he's kind of a bigger body type, so he could kind of hold up against the run a little bit more as, as a guy that could come in and support as well against the run. So maybe that makes some sense, but uh, we'll see what how that plays out. But you, Josh Joe's probably a guy – I mean, he was a borderline top 100 recruit. He'll probably start at one of the corner spots. He started the, the, the game against Michigan when Diggs was sitting out. Jordan Battle was a former top 50 
high school recruit that's probably going to start at one of the safety spots. Daniel Wright, another uh, borderline top 100 guy. Ronald Williams, the guy they're getting uh, from the JUCO ranks, the top 15 JUCO guy. And he's probably not – you don't recruit a guy like that unless you think he's going to come in and play right away. Um, so, you know, kind of like we did with DJ Daniel last year. So, you know, I, I think they have – they obviously have some guys. This is Alabama we're talking about. They still recruit at a really high level. I just don't know if you can expect them to be as good as they even were last year with all the guys that they're losing off that secondary. I just don't know it. So I guess all in all here, I guess you're we're in agreement, Kurt, right? That this Bama defense might not take that step back towards what they used to be. I don't think so. I think they've got way too many question marks. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. There's and that's what I said coming to last year. That's why that's one of the big reasons I put I picked LSU over Bama in the preseason last year for LSU to win the the West because I thought there were so many holes on that Alabama defense. And I think it's I, I think we're seeing the same thing this year. Yeah, you get some guys back and some guys that play a lot as, as young guys last year should be a, a year better, but there's still a lot of holes in this defense. And I just don't see them getting back to what they once were, to at least to the degree where they can win games with defense. I think they're still going to have to outscore the better teams on their schedule. All right, quickly here before we get out of here today, let's talk about the matchup. Obviously, we go up there. We can't overlook Virginia week one, but let's be real. A lot of eyes are already on our week three matchup in Tuscaloosa. Early lines have us anywhere from like a four and a half to seven and a half point dog on the road. Kurt, how do you think we match up with this Alabama team? Um, I think we match up well, but I just, even if we hadn't beaten every position category, I still just don't feel safe picking them till we get over the bump. Yeah. What would it take for us to pull the upset? Really, you just can't turn the ball over and not give up the big plays to them. I mean, it's as simple as that when you play them. If there's a reduced capacity, how much of a difference does that make in your mind? With Huge. Because especially if they start getting momentum, you're not going to, the crowd's not going to get back into it and things like that. Yeah, I think we are, I think we're at the point now where I can say with a straight face that we are at least, at the very least, just as talented as Alabama is. Are you with me on that? I am, yes. So if we're there and there is not the traditional home field advantage, I think that really benefits us. But when I'm looking at this matchup against Alabama, I actually I actually like our chances. I'm not going to sit here and guarantee right now in early July that we're going to go into Tuscaloosa and win that game. We just don't even know what the circumstances surrounding that game are going to be, what the conditions will be like, how many fans will be in the stands, will any fans be in the stands, will the game even happen? We don't know any of those things. We don't know which players won't, won't be playing that game because they tested positive for coronavirus. Like We just don't know. We don't have the information. But I will say, I'm not just chalking this one up as a loss. I, like, I know a lot of people, when you, get the, when you get the schedule and the season gets closer and closer, you have to go down the schedule and say, okay, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. And you figure out what you think the schedule is going to be, what your projection is going to be. And for me, when I do that, I usually look at, I try to look at what are the for sure losses for each team when I'm trying to project what they're going to do, what are the games I think they're definitely going to win, and what are the toss-ups. I would throw this Bama game for us in the toss-up category. I don't think it's a for sure loss whatsoever, and I certainly am not confident enough to sit here and say, oh yeah, we're definitely going to go in there in Tuscaloosa and win that game. But I would certainly put it in the toss-up category. And there's a couple reasons for that. I, I think their strength, as we laid out, is going to be their offensive line and their wide receivers. And if that's the case, I think we match up pretty well there. We have a veteran, talented, very deep defensive line. As I said earlier in the show, I think our front seven is better than Bama's front seven this year. And that's where the first time, I guess maybe you could say last year was the first time you could say that. But I think it's going to be even more pronounced this year. So I think... That is something that gives me a little bit of confidence hanging this game. I think our front seven at the very least can hold up against the run game and allow us to hopefully be able to keep a too high safety look. And in that secondary, 
we're pretty loaded, guys. Yeah, they have two really good receivers in Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. But they also don't have Tua Tungavailoa thrown to them. I, I do think Mac Jones is a good quarterback, but he's not Tua. And they don't. he also does not pose the threat to run, which takes more pressure off the defense. And they only have two of the foursome of just incredible wide receivers last year. And in what we have put back in the secondary, I think we are in really good shape to be able to handle that Alabama passing attack. Now, look, on the other side of the ball, we still have our issues offensively. Like, we know that. We'll see what the offense looks like this year. But I believe this Alabama defense is vulnerable. I, I said that just a couple minutes ago. I think that this team has holes on their defense, just like they did last year. I like our offensive line, even though I know we're losing some guys up front. I like our offensive line with the talent that we're going to have versus that Bama front seven based off what I saw from them last year. Now, maybe some of those guys take a big jump this year. It's certainly possible, but I can only go off what I've seen to this point. And I think we're going to be just fine with our offensive line against that front seven. I think there's going to be some opportunities to hit some vertical shots against an inexperienced secondary with a quarterback in Jamie Newman who, look, he, he, he was as good as anyone not named Joe Burrow throwing the ball vertically down the field last season. So I, I think this is a, a a matchup that we could potentially go in and win. I know no one expects us to, and we probably should be the underdog going into the game. But again, I'm not chalking this up that it's just going to be an automatic loss. Now, what would it take to, for us to pull the upset? I think we're going to need to find a way to put some pressure on Mac Jones, which is not something that we have really excelled at. I think that's more by design. We're actually, I've been wanting to do a show. I keep meaning to do it. Hopefully, we'll get to it later in, this, in the offseason about why exactly, from an X and O standpoint, we don't put up the sack numbers that other teams do. But we got to find a way to put some pressure on him. Just affect him. It doesn't have to be getting him on the ground. That'd be great, but just affecting him. Uh, and they were third nationally in sack rate last year when four of those five outs of linemen are coming back. So that, that's going to be a tall task. But I would also say that Jones is not as mobile as Tua was. And here's the key. Uh, we need to be able to stop the run to allow us to keep that too high shell to reduce the number of one-on-one opportunities they get with Smith and Waddle. We can do that. I like our chances to be in this one late. I know we're, we're still months away from it. But hey, as far as I'm concerned, it's never too early to start talking about these things. But we will talk, obviously, a lot more about this game as it gets closer and closer and we get into the actual season, God willing. But that does it for today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. We really appreciate you guys again, as we said at the outset. You guys are the best. Uh, we really appreciate you guys supporting us through this whole coronavirus pandemic and still finding time to, to tune in and listen to us talk some football, even with all the uncertainty facing us. And we're, uh, we're going to do our best to keep plugging away at it, man. We're going to keep churning out content and have you guys covered to kind of fill that void that I know is there because it's certainly there for me. But thanks for listening, guys. We, we will be back later on this week. Right now, unless things change, the plan is to play a little buy or sell with some of the preseason magazines and some of the things they had to say, uh, not just about Georgia, but about the SEC and national college football in general. So we'll have some fun with that. It's a show we like to do each and every year. And uh, the magazines are now finally on newsstands. They're all pretty much out. I think Phil Steele is still not quite out yet, but it'll be out here in a couple weeks. So we'll have some fun with that. So check back later on the week. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.